It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome once again to Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host, situated in the Roadworthy Drive studios with Jack DeLeon and Sasha Little, the other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew. Thanks for tuning in. We have a full deck for this hour, including hydrogen. Yeah, it's still a thing, and we're going to discuss it. Tesla's lucid moment, and I'm not talking about a moment of clarity for Elon Musk. The crew and I will explain. And then finally, tariffs in the automotive industry. Now, I really don't want to talk about them, but it's what's coming, and it's about to cost you some money, and we're going to explore how much. And that's even if you're not in the market to buy a vehicle. So you're going to want to stay put and buckle up. For those of you who want to add your comments, suggestions, or ideas to the program, you certainly can reach out and touch me by calling or texting via the Roadworthy Drive Line that number, 872-222-9793. For those of the email persuasion, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. As always, we want to hear from you. Speaking of the crew, I'm fortunate to have that designated adult in the room at the controls, my friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon, as well as the sometimes caffeinated, always opinionated, lady in the corner, Sasha Little. Howdy, my peoples. Hello, hello. Reach out and touch him. Yeah, not literally. Do you know how unsanitary that is? <laughs> Oh, my. And why did I have this image of, like, E.T., you know, E.T., phone home? Yeah, it figures. I'm not surprised. I'm just saying. You yeah. know, you know, and apparently this morning there had to be a full moon last night. It is because, the first day of the full moon. Because the two of you were on it this morning. Always. All the, all the time. Always, I mean, sir. I, I am not caffeinated, though. Oh, they. Then we've got problems, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, yeah, we have problems. If the lady of, didn't get her caffeine. If all of a sudden you hear things being thrown about the room. <laughs> Glass or, breaking. Or, or you hear me yell, duck! <laughs> then you know we have a problem. Mr. Uh, Chester. Or chicken. Either yeah, one. Either one. Either Mr. One. Chester, this week in the parts bin, we have what? Um, you remember we, used, we talked about Faraday Future. Right. Yes. And we talked about uh, how we thought they were done. Uh, another Tesla wannabe wasn't going to happen. You know, it's too much stuff going on, too much underhanded stuff. There's no and way there was some it's financing issues with them, right? They there had, was. They were All supposed right. to break. Hold, hold it for a second. Yeah. I got a bone to pick with her. Yes. What do you mean by posting on Facebook either yesterday or this morning uh-huh. about your $63,000 Tesla? Yeah, yes, my $63,000. Wait a minute, that's all it cost? Yes. Was I, it like I'm a having... Model 3? Couldn't have been a Model S. No, it's a Model 3 okay. because I'm going for the extended miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually get more miles with the Model 3. Yeah. Um, it if... was a little bit more expensive because I am going with the blue. I did not go with the red, which is actually $3,000 more. I'm paying for the blue, which is actually just fifty. Okay, but did you go for the uh, all-in on the autopilot? <laughs> uh Tech with Sasha. Yes, sir. I see. Yes, sir. We and, did. And, and when were you expecting to get this car? Um, it is telling me in about uh, six months, which knowing um, 
you know, Tesla the way that we do, all intimate. I'm thinking about year and a half, next, right? 18, <laughs> 18 months. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. How's that GoFundMe page going? It's going great. It's going really good. Had a lot of positive, uh, positive responses to that. Uh huh. But was there any money involved? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> what? what? Yeah. Why go, do we? Why the words to... are Sasha. The words are <laughs> go fund me. Yes. Fund please, fund me. Please heavy fund on me. The, on the fund part. Yeah. Heavy, heavy, heavy on the fund me. But the only problem is, if yes, you're going to go all that way, uh-huh. I would have went for a Model S. No. I really just don't want a Model S. I do. Why spend more? Okay, Faraday, what were we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Is he a Tesla hater? Now, no, I'm thinking that, anyway, my point is, with the Faraday, didn't they also, weren't they supposed to build um, in a state here in the U.S.? Okay, well, let's take a step backwards. I was. They were going to build elsewhere. It didn't happen. Right. Then they found an old Pirelli plant in Hanford, Hanford, California. Uh, and then they got some convoluted financing that was mm-hmm. a little bit weird, yep. but they yep. got it. Um, the headline in the Hanford Sentinel is, and I quote, Faraday Future announces mass hiring. This is oh, about less than two weeks ago. Wow. They are actually finishing their first pre-production FF91 luxury electronic vehicle. They built it. So it's actually a pre-production vehicle that exists now. So they we, actually built the warehouse? Uh, the, it's not a warehouse. Uh, the, the factory's still factory? on, the factory's not completely completed. Okay. But they've hired 100 employees. They're expecting to ramp up to 1000 by mid next year. They have built a pre-production car. They've actually built it and uh they're actually gone even further with setting up some training programs with local colleges, which I think might be under the Perkins Act that we talked about. We talked about that. Um yeah, they're looking at ramping up for real. Are we talking about that they built a they built a car? Mm-hmm. Okay, had they tried this in body and white yet? That's what this is. Okay, when you say pre-production, <clears throat> that's what, body and white. What you're talking about is you're building a car one to prove out your your uh, manufacturing materials, uh, to prove out your suppliers, basically to prove out everything. You built, you built, and this is the first one. Chances are most most companies will build 5, 10, 15, 20 of them because what you're going to do is it's, does everything fit? Uh, color, quality, texture, all of that. How does it look? Uh, adhesives, uh, the machinery that we're going to use to assemble it. Does all of that work together? I, That's what building these cars are about. Okay. I personally think that Iowa would be a great place to test out the roadworthiness. They're of, not going to take that car that far, Sasha. I, I mean, we, why gonna, do you have to use words like never and can't? And because really 1,800 miles, <laughs> Sasha. And money. Yeah, not going to happen. You realize, and support materials and support staff. When you say the factory isn't fully complete, you understand that I have this vision of like not all the roof and the walls. It's a not million being... square feet. Holy buckets. Okay. And actually, I hate to tell you. That's not a big plant. There are other plants that have yeah, 7 to 11 be, million square yeah, feet. Yeah, but they're not going to be like a Ford or no. they're going to be like a no. very minimal. The challenge, though, we haven't heard anything about dealers. they got to build a they got to build a parts infrastructure, mm-hmm. a repair infrastructure uh, across the country. We haven't heard anything about that. So I'll be curious to see just how far they get. This is a very preliminary step. Plus. You know, you still got to ramp up. Uh, as an example, 
um, Fiat Chrysler when they ramped up their new uh, Ram trucks. Not a word. Not a word. The Chevy Not ones? a word. Shut up. The GMCs? Hush. Yes. They the still 2019 had to, Ram GMC. They, <laughs> they still had to spend, <laughs> on, after going into production, mm-hmm. another $300 million to, to resolve uh, stuff that they found in production. And yet? Equipment. They- Things like that. Correct the fact that it looks like a GMC. You know, we're going to agree to disagree. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. Keep the girl in check. How long do they think that it's going to be before they really ramp up production? Probably next year. That quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, Automobile manufacturing is very capital intensive. Well, we know that. And if you're not selling vehicles, you're incurring cost. And it costs with a factory that big with equipment, machinery, people, uh, work in process, uh, validation, testing. And then there's a whole bunch of governmental verification, Uh, fuel economy, even for an electric. Uh, You've got to still meet all the federal motor motor vehicle safety standards. And you've got to test those, which means some of these pre-production cars are going to be wrecked uh, in order to validate and prove that it meets the standards. Okay. So and all that's going to take time. One of the one of the other things that I'm that I'm worried about, which you brought up earlier, is the simple fact of what are they going to do for a dealer outlet, service outlet, um, parts? Well, wasn't this the company that was looking into 3D printing for the parts? No, that wasn't Faraday. No. Okay. No. And besides it, the fact that opened up a whole new can of worms, I it know. was, I was and curious. it was a very low volume manufacturer in California that was trying it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and it was not Faraday. But, you know, we'll be talking um, later on about another manufacturer that's even further along than Faraday, uh, making some serious progress traditionally. And uh, I've actually seen their car and uh, got pictures of it. It's a gorgeous car. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be amazing when they bring that to market. But we'll talk about that one later. But Faraday's the, – the rumors of Faraday Future's death may have been greatly exaggerated – We stand corrected, and we'll see if they actually get the FF91 to market. And if we get a chance to get our hands on it, either in an auto show or drive it, in fact, we will. Now, next up, hydrogen continues to have a place in the world of vehicle propulsion. An update on what's going on. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are listening to Roadworthy Drive. Do you have a question, idea, or comment for Ken? You can let him know by calling 872-888-9793, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Leave Ken a voicemail message or a text. The configuration... Delta. Jet powered Delta. And this Oldsmobile's Delta. The completely new Delta 88. I'm John Shorty Powers. Let's check out this Delta 88 from inside the roomy cabin. New sport seat. Center rest up, it's a full bench seat. Down, it's like a pair of bucket seats. In the Delta 88, luxury is a wall to wall proposition. Delta Power, Oldsmobile's new super rocket V8 engine, 425 cubic inches big, 
up to 370 horsepower if you wish. Equip it with smooth new turbo hydromatic drive and it's a gentleman in traffic, a real extrovert on the expressway. On the flight line now at your Olds dealer. Okay, Sasha, now I need therapy after watching this. Right? I mean, he's just over there doing, like, the entire, I mean, he's like one of the Price is Right girls. Oh, ooh. Did you ever play, like, Scatteries? No, no, no. What was the one where you had to act out? Charades. 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 No, no, no. Sorry about that. And by the way, welcome back to Roadworthy Drive. Yeah. Known as America's premier (laughs) mobility news and technology talk show in spite of of what the crew might say. What? We have fun here. Yeah. We do, in fact, talk more than just cars and trucks. What he doesn't realize. Yes. Is that he's outvoted two to one. Uh, <laughs> but wait, wait. He's going to pull the whole. Uh, I'm the talent. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. I told you. Folks, if it's transportation from pedal bikes to flying cars, chances are we're going to be keeping you updated about what you need to know. Consumer issues? <laughs> you bet. On what you need to know about pricing, selecting, insuring, and financing that next newer used vehicle, and uh, so much more. Spending time with the Roadworthy Drive crew each week will make you a better informed consumer, not to mention a more decent person, mm. I think. A d- decent person? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now he's reaching. Right? Wow. We're friendly, right? Yes, we are. We're very friendly. We're likable. To, to your face, yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, radio has a way of bringing out the truth, I guess. Okay, sir, hydrogen. Yeah. Talk about it. Can you? Should we? Yes, please. I don't know. Should we? I mean, I personally, I remember early on, very, very early on, um, where we were talking about hydrogen-powered vehicles. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? I remember being, why? Why would we even bother with this technology? Why is this even a thing? Why are we, and I was one that I was like, yeah, maybe this is kind of going to go with like the whole automobile steam engine. It's not going to last. I mean, you're going to have a few people that had one. It's not going to last. But we're seeing it more and more. Well, let's let's take a step backwards. I really don't want to. What, what we're talking about <laughs> when you talk about hydrogen is you're actually talking about a fuel cell. Mm-hmm. You're talking about instead of lithium-ion batteries propelling a pure electric, mm-hmm. that this is a different type of electric that uses hydrogen uh, in a chemical reaction to make electricity. Now, the benefit that you don't have the weight of the batteries and you don't have the time for recharging. Uh, filling a vehicle with hydrogen is as quick as filling a vehicle with gasoline and just as convenient. Unlike okay. even, I mean, if you look at even a quick charger, you're still 10 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. on average. Right. And you're not getting the full charge. You might get um, anywhere from 20 to 100 miles in that charge in 20 minutes. Hydrogen, you know, the, the Toyota Mirai has the lowest range and it's over 300 miles. And you're talking 10 minutes. Get your 300 miles, boom, go. So you're only limited uh, to going to stations that actually where you can tank up with hydrogen. So, again, it's still an infrastructure problem, but one that cities and even companies are dealing with. Does Iowa have any? I think we have at least one. Do we? And I think it's near me. Okay. Yeah, I think the one across the street. But 
let me give you an idea. We talked about whether or not hydrogen is a thing. Right. Um, company in Europe developed world's first hydrogen-powered train. Um, it generates electricity, and this train doesn't just use hydrogen to generate electricity. It takes the excess power and actually stores it in the lithium batteries <laughs> so that okay. even if you have more power than you need, it, it, you have it stored, which I thought was an interesting twist. Okay. And it has the same range, um, about 620 miles, uh, that a diesel engine train would have. So you've got that. It, less pollution, it's quieter, and you know, you've got comparable distance. So that's a train. Um, go to Los Angeles. The Port of Los Angeles is getting money um, from the California Air Resources Board to launch what they call a zero-emissions hydrogen fuel cell electric freight project. Now, if you recall, Toyota was doing that at the uh, Port of Long Beach. Correct. Now Toyota, Kenworth, and Shell are going to the Port of Los Angeles to do the same thing, with a forty, and they're going to match that $41 million with $40 million to do it up there. And it's going to, the trucks that they're going to use are going to be operated by Toyota Logistics <laughs> Services, United Parcel Services, and we talked about United Parcel stepping up, yep. mm -hmm. Total Transportation Services, Inc., and Southern Counties Express. Shell will be building a couple of large, heavy-duty hydrogen fueling stations. And the thing here is, um, in a port, it's geospecific, so that it would be easy to run fleets of these because you could build the infrastructure that these vehicles would use day in and day out because they're all running in the same place. Right. But one of the one of the things that I'm trying to remember is do they have room at the port yes. to put these in? Yes. Because you don't need that big of any more than diesel facilities. Okay. I mean, it's not like you need extra big, super large facilities any larger than diesel you just need the infrastructure to store hydrogen in order to make it happen and the, and as opposed to elect regular electrics you don't have the weight since you don't have the weight of the batteries you can haul more correct now here's my question mm -hmm. does is the hydrogen coming is the hydrogen actually being created there or are they having to transport it like they do gasoline they did not say that would be a question I'd like to see. They, they did not say, and I, I think it would have to be cost effective regardless um, of however it gets there. I suspect they're probably making it on site at some point because usually it requires natural gas. There's a couple of different ways to do it. Natural gas seems to me the most commercially feasible way. So you could very easily have a, something using natural gas to make hydrogen to make it available. Okay. I, now, don't, I don't want to get in the weeds here, but I'm going to. Well, before you do, let me throw this at you. Okay. Hyundai just signed a deal to sell 1,000 hydrogen-powered trucks in Switzerland. Okay. And these, these are semi-trucks, by what, the way. What does it take to make hydrogen? You'd have to ask me that. I'm not a chemist. I'm, I'm not even going to start to go there. It, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's something <laughs> that requires natural gas and a chemical reaction that splits it down. And creates hydrogen gas. And then from there, you use it to make electricity. Okay. Um, we'll have to answer that at some other time. Um, when we come back, the automobile industry is the most capital-intensive resource-demanding business that there is. We're going to see who's challenging Elon Musk. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. 
You're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you who want to learn more about the show and the Roadworthy Drive crew, be sure to check out our website, roadworthydrive.com. Watch video of our behind-the-scenes antics, listen to audio of past shows, see pictures of the crew, and more. Sasha keeps things light and lively between shows on our Facebook page, as well as the other nooks and crannies of the social media universe. If you prefer to listen to us on your mobile phone, you can take the Roadworthy Drive crew with you via Google Play, Blueberry Podcasting, and Stitcher. Thought you ought to know. And one more thing. If you are a real connoisseur of vintage automotive literature, from original factory repair manuals to late model new vehicle brochures and more, um, check out my online store, and that's VintageAutomotiveMedia.com. I offer the best in automotive literature with delivery to you within a couple of days within the United States. Again, that is VintageAutomotiveMedia.com. Now, during the break, Sasha and her crackerjack research <laughs> brought up a point, and I learned something, and I wanted to share it with you because um, it's one more thing that would make um, fuel cell vehicles, hydrogen-powered vehicles, more um, applicable in more places, even if the infrastructure's not there. Well, and see, what's happening is, and it's something that I didn't actually know about, because it started off with me asking, do we actually have a charging station here in Iowa, which is where we actually do the, the recording for Roadworthy Drive? And we do not. I started out with a very simple, no, there is not a charging station anywhere near us. However, what I did find is that there is such a demand, obviously, for the fuel cell, that Third-party companies are coming up with range extenders. Um, it has become very feasible to get a hydro, like a station, like a mini station, at your own home. Um, so you could just fuel up there. And then there are products that you can get that you would actually carry in your car. And when you've gone your 300 miles or so on and so forth, you would just hook this up, recharge your tank, go for another 300. Mm-hmm. The only issue <coughs> would be... If the state had laws regarding the hauling of hydrogen outside of the appropriate tank, because and it could be considered a um, here's the thing. Okay, gas. you you had the same problem with gas. Yes. Right. You have to haul it in, in an approved container. container. And there are this is this is where it gets a little funky. You've got to imagine something that looks like a battery. Okay. Mm, okay. And these batteries, I mean, they they look like a you know a double A battery on steroids, basically. Right. And these batteries fit into a container. And what you're actually doing is you're taking this battery, you're plugging it in right there, and it charges it like that. So basically, it's extra hydrogen is what you're talking yes, about. Yes. Yes. So again, the question becomes, and it will literally be state by state, of whether or not your Department of Transportation regards the third party. Uh, container mm -hmm. as being an appropriate container. and safe, and then there's an insurance company issue. Uh, if the insurance company, like right. for example, you get rear-ended, it's in your trunk. <laughs> yeah. um, typically, the what they talk about hydrogen is being so dense that it would actually go to the ground and dissipate 
quicker than, say, gasoline or something, as opposed to being an explosion risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But insurance companies being uh, risk averse, those would be the only questions I would have mm-hmm. that I would want to know before I would do something like that. Well, and see, my point on this is that with fuel cells, um, I personally kind of discarded them. I did not think that they were something that was going to last. But what we're finding is the demand for these things are so much that people are bypassing the need for infrastructure. They're going straight to the the individuals that are buying these and saying, you know what? Here you go. I developed this product. I'm making it financially feasible for you to do it. And they're giving something that your electric vehicle, as much as I love my electric vehicles, they're giving you something that electric vehicles do not offer. And we'll end it on this note. Um, Hydrogen-powered fuel cell vehicle with those extenders solves your range anxiety problem. Right? I mean, I, mean I, immediately, I might have to like take today. down. Right? I mean, I might have to take down. Guess you're not buying a Model S. I, I'm thinking that I might not. And yeah. I can actually get a fuel cell SUV now, can I? Um, I don't. Uh, yes. I thought so. Hyundai has made uh, the Hyundai. Tucson fuel cell. The question is, will they sell it to you here? Because the other flip side of that is the local dealer's experience in uh-huh. being able to honor the warranty. That would be the other problem. That's but true. we will keep an eye on this and uh, continue to report on it. Okay. All right. Lucid Motors. Regular listeners might recall my trip to New York Auto Show last year where I actually got to see and take pictures of both the retail prototype and the test mule of what's going to be the 2020 Lucid Air sedan. It's big, modern, comfortable, and a pure electric. And I said that then that this car could give Tesla a real run for its money. It was gorgeous. That mm. car was beautiful. What is missing, we noticed at the time, was the big money that such a venture would acquire. Well, we got the news this week where the money is coming from, and it's ironic. You remember when uh, te- when Elon Musk said that his funding was secured to take the company private? Yep. They kind of alluded to that it might be a Saudi uh, sovereign fund. Lucid Motors, um, which is developing the Lucid Air pure electric car, just got a billion-dollar investment. And where did they get it? Saudi. The Saudi Public Investment Fund. Wow. One billion dollars. Wow. It's going to enable them to complete their engineering development and build their plant in Casa Grande, Arizona. And now Lucid Air is looking at being a premium or a luxury car manufacturer. And their big thing at the time when I was in New York, they said, we don't want to build a lot of cars at first. We're all about the quality, and we're going to ramp up to just maybe 10,000 cars a year at first. We're not in a hurry. Now, the thing is, they've got a lot of heavy-duty people working for them, including a couple of people who used to work for Tesla, including the chief engineer of the Model S. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But it's interesting to note that, you know, they got the money that Elon Musk said he had. They actually legally got it, and they're a private company, unlike Tesla, which is a publicly traded company. And, yes, Tesla stock went down when this announcement was held. Oh, I bet. Uh, Now – it still takes a lot of money and time and effort to bring a car to market. And trust me when I tell you, as great as the Lucid is and looks like it could be, there's still no guarantee they'll ever get a car into the marketplace. But a billion dollars is sure going to help. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes because like Faraday we talked about in the last uh, uh, segment, segment, you still got you know parts, service, dealership, the whole marketing push. 
and it's getting clustered. I mean, there's a lot of people. Uh, you got Porsche, BMW, Volvo bringing out luxury hybrids and pure electric cars, and it's only going to increase. Mercedes even dedicated a whole sub-brand to being pure electrics, including crossovers and SUVs. Well, yes, I mean, ma'am. it's one of those things where now it's become socially, you know, monage to have an EV. Yeah, well, I guess we're going to find out if uh, it's just a moment or if it's really going to happen. Well, I think one of the other things you got to really look at, too, is at what point in time is the big three or any of the major car makers going to have to go into a joint venture with these people because they're going to run out of time before they can get their product to market? I don't see it, but we'll see. Last up, the, all these tariffs are going to be more money, more money, more money spent by American motorists just as the automotive industry is slowing down. We'll talk about what this could mean to your pocketbook over the next several years. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive. If you're just tuning in, this is the fourth and final segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, your host in studio with Jack and Sasha. Together, we are known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. So glad you could be with us. <sighs> Tariffs. I don't want to talk about it. I don't either. But if you're wondering why you should care, uh, you're probably even wondering, why am I even bringing it up on a mobility news and technology show? <laughs> well, dear listener, because like it or not, if this issue is not resolved pretty soon, it's going to cost you more money. Probably reduce the selection of available vehicles for you to buy and even probably impact the cost of maintaining what you currently drive. I have to say something, though. Mm. I'm actually kind of thankful for them. Why? Because it's made people aware of just how global um, our economy actually is. I think a lot of people were still thinking that, you know, oh, well, what is happening over in China? What's going to happen over in you know Canada and stuff like that? It's not going to impact me. Well, we're seeing... In real time, and it's bringing us to the forefront of the attention, we are not, by any stretch of the imagination, ever, um, we are not an exclusive anymore. We are tethered to the entire world. And everything from, like, the toothpicks that you use to the toothbrush that you use, the oil, it's all tethered. Let me give you an example. This is from um, SEMA News, which is the specialty equipment uh, manufacturers, uh, Mark. I'm sorry, Specialty Equipment Market Association. Oh, by the way, yeah. you did get our press credentials, right? No, I didn't. We're not going. Uh, I'm going. Darn it. I'm going. Bless your heart. I'm going to have my fin- my thumb out and uh-huh. I'm going. I got nothing for her. Anyway, <laughs> according to their recent article, mm-hmm. um, they're looking at the list just, just for China. Yeah. Covers 5,745 full of partial lines of the original 6,031 tariff lines proposed in July. Yep. The list includes many auto parts, from engines to metal fasteners to tires, steering wheel components, rubber gaskets, transmission belts, brake pads, windshields, and suspension springs. To give you an idea, just China. Just the tariff on China. 194 pages. I've got a part of it. 
<laughs> right? You were not right going to print wow. off. Wow. Yeah. And it's specific. Yeah. Uh, let me give you an example, just one line. Spark ignition replicating piston engines used for propulsion of vehicles of Chapter 87 with a cylinder capacity not exceeding 50 cc. That's a motorcycle engine. It's a small motorcycle engine. Yes, but it, is. it goes on and on. It's Would that be not like your that. snowmobile? Could engines? be. That could, yeah, it could it be could a snowblower. Be. Yeah, or your snowblower. Things like that. Yep. But it goes up and up. I mm -hmm. mean, it gets in all kinds of things. But I wanted to read that. Uh, Sasha talked about oil. Oil or fuel filters for internal combustion engines. Intake air filters for internal combustion engines. Mm -hmm. Door assemblies for the dishwashing machines of subheading 8422.11. Oh. That's how specific these are. Now, the he talks about me getting into the woods. No. Well, the weeds, the woods, the trees. Here's yeah. my thing. I mean, it, it's one of those things. I was listening to the radio and, you know, this announcer came on. And for people that need to watch their budget, you know, you have a, you know, have an array of choices. You have everything from like $2 all the way up to $7. Now, all of a sudden, you're not going to have that 2 3 $4 mm -hmm. choice. Now, everything's going to be that $7. And American companies are saying, yay, somebody's finally going to bring our buy our product. America needs to understand that American-made is expensive. Now, let me help you with that. Not always and not necessarily. That's a myth. Not every time it's the more expensive I didn't say choice. every time. Here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Because we are in a global economy. Yes, And we you are. keep saying that over and over. I do. It's not a matter of a finished good that was made in China, completely sourced in China, engineered in China, developed in China, shipped to the United States. Yep. There may be American subparts assemblies or American raw materials shipped to China to be made into that thing, shipped around the world. Yep. Give an example. Two companies are going to get hurt by these tariffs. BMW and Mercedes-Benz. You know why? No, why? They have American plants. Ah. And their American products that they only source here that they want to ship to China is now subject to a 40% Chinese tariff. Wow. That means Americans out of work. Yep. Um, there are other companies, I'm not at liberty to disclose, here in our, our area, that ship sub-assemblies that get incorporated into vehicles built in China that are shipped back to the United States and around the world. Those plants won't be running. That's the problem. But a bigger – because it's not all one thing. Even things that Americans build here – may have some sourcing, either raw materials or sub-assemblies or parts uh, that make the final product that they make here may come from China and around the world. So it's not a matter of the American part or the American product or the Chinese product. It may be lesser choices because the inexpensive products that used components or raw materials from elsewhere to keep the price down are no longer a choice, even down to maintaining your current vehicle. Yeah. Your replacement parts, your fuel filters, things like that are going to go up. What's worse, because this also impacts Mexico and what they rework for yeah. NAFTA. Yeah. Yep. They, Mexico estimates that one out of every three vehicle types built down there will not meet the new standards. And they're typically less expensive vehicles. Say that again. One out of – under the new standards they just agreed to, the chains NAFTA. Okay. One out of three cars currently built in Mexico and sold in the United States won't meet the new standards. And what that means 
those vehicles probably won't get sold here yep. because they're typically lower priced vehicles that we couldn't build here profitably. So they went down there. But because of the content and because of the wage issues, it either is going to be built somewhere else or not sold here at all, which reduces choices for Americans. And you forget advertising, transportation, part stocking, repair and training, all of that for those vehicles which employ Americans won't happen. And we're talking about a buying situation with American cars that is already weakened. Soft. Yeah. Now, let me blow your mind here. Auto exports to China set a record $7.4 billion last month, but the benefit went to European and Japanese companies as U.S. automakers were blocked from the gains due to the addition of the regulatory retaliatory tariff on U.S. built vehicles. Meaning if you can't sell them there, it's going to affect jobs here, and our market is already softening even trucks, and it's softening globally. China builds, China sells, they buy 10 million more vehicles than the United States sells in a good year, which is 17.5 million. China is closing in on 30 million as the largest market, but it's not just large, it's large by this much. Oh, well. As always, too much topic, too little time. Thank you for riding along with us for the hour. We'll see you next time. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You've been tuned into Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.